It's great to see you this morning, and uh, what a fun weekend that we've had together. What a great, uh, great Saturday, just uh, really reaching out into the community, and I just want to commend all of you um, for your efforts in that. Um, well, I know that it's true of myself, and I know it's true of many of you. There are people in your life sometimes that make a huge impact, and you thank God for them on a regular basis. And standing here with me today is Jeff Dodge, and he is one of those um, people in my life, uh, somebody who's made a, a huge impact. Um, Jeff Dodge is the lead pastor at Cornerstone Church in Ames, Iowa, and uh, they have a college ministry that many of you are familiar with called the Salt Company, and uh, Brookside has been blessed with a really unique partnership uh, with Cornerstone, with the Hope Center Orphanage that we have the opportunity to be a part of. We actually have a team over there uh, as we speak here this morning. And what I love about Cornerstone Church is that they have a vision to reach the next generation. They have a vision to look at different college campuses really across the Midwest. They've targeted 81 of them. And even just in this coming year, they're going to be at Penn State. Uh, they're looking at uh, Kansas, uh, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. And um, they go into these college campuses, and they start a college ministry, and from that flourishes a local church. And when I was at, uh, uh, in Ames uh, as a college student, God really got a hold of my life as a sophomore, and I quickly got plugged into a ministry called the Salt Company, the college ministry, and Jeff Dodge was leading that at that time and was a huge impact in my life to sit under his teaching, to be mentored by him, to be in his home, to be able even then to do youth ministry and have his son was um, just a huge privilege. And so Jeff and his wife, Teresa, have just been such a, a blessing to Christina and myself. And so to have them here uh, today is such a privilege for all of us to be able to sit under the teaching of God's word and to, to see what, what God will do here in our midst. And so Jeff, thank you so much for your role in my life and uh, for coming and, and not sharing with our church this morning. So I'm going to pray for us and, and then we'll go ahead and dive in. Heavenly Father, um, thank you for the privilege that it is, Lord, to have people in our lives that make a huge difference. God, you grace us with that. And uh, Lord, I've been such a recipient of the gift from God of, of Jeff and Teresa in my life and in Christina's life. And uh, Lord, we just pray this morning now that you would just continue to speak through Jeff. And uh, we pray that this chapter that he's going to look at in, with us in Acts uh, would come to life, Lord. And I pray that you would speak. I know there are people here today that this message is just right for them. And so, God, would you really speak uh, to them? And then, Lord, I think of just the work of the church, the greater vision of the kingdom of God expanding. Lord, we pray for Cornerstone Church. And, Father, we pray that the gospel would continue to go forth. We pray that as they reach different campuses and as they continue to have more and more church plants across the country, God, we pray that the gospel would be made known more and more in the lives of people. Lord, we love you, and uh, we want to serve you this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brian. Well, good morning, Brookside. It really is a blast being here, and uh, even just for the excuse to be able to hang out with Jeff and Christina Dart, I'd, I'd come just for that, because they are such a joy to, to Teresa and I, and still remember back in the day, so back when they were students, uh, our, our ministry met in this thing called Jocko's Auto Parts. It's like this warehouse in the back of this auto parts store, and, uh, and I'll just never forget seeing Jeff come to know Christ, and then sitting with him after on these big wood tables that we had in the back of the room and we'd sit there and walk through things that he was learning and growing in and and my favorite just image anytime Christina Dart comes to my mind it's every service especially at retreat times or whatever she would find that passage that she had to just know and understand deeper and she'd wait in line to talk to me and I'd look out and she'd have her bible just like this 
And then she'd step up a little closer and step up and just was not going to leave until she got her turn to, to open the word. But it was always from the scriptures. And so I'm just saying, you guys, Jeff and Christina, from, from spiritual birth, have had this hunger and a teachable spirit that's just marked them, not just in those early days, all the way till now. And so what a gift for all of you in this church family to be led with, with that kind of a teachable heart, uh, not from a place, I've got this, you know, I've got it figured out, now it's time to tell others. They're still hungering and thirsting and leaning in, and so what, what a joy. Um, thanks to you guys for your partnership with what's going on in Zambia. Um, guys, when I showed up here a few years ago to just tell you about this crazy vision that we had to make a, a, a movement of God happen in Zambia, um, your elders at that point said, yeah, why didn't you come? Because we'd like to hear about that. And maybe we'll help you guys along a little bit. And it was like the vision just took off like a wildfire here. And you guys didn't just help us out. You guys partnered and grabbed the ball. And I mean, what God has done because of the partnership of our two churches together, it's just astounding. I hope that you guys feel the wonder of when, when churches partner together for the gospel, what can be done? Because that ministry is a testament of a cooperative spirit that has it's just been incredible. Well, I even watched Jeff's message from last week online. And when you guys had Marjorie by Skype, you know, praying over your church family from Zambia. I mean, how cool was that? I mean, I mean, I love her. And you guys love her. We got a cool connection. We got some family that we share together. So anyway, yeah, Jeff's right. We're, we're doing... Some new stuff of trying to reach university students and not just um, reaching the students, but what we believe is that there needs to be a multi-generational local church that reaches university students and pulls them not just to Jesus, but into the vibrancy of a multi-generational church family. So yeah, we're, we're going at that and uh, have them at, at Iowa State where I am, Iowa, you and I, Drake, um, and now heading, well, actually next week, Penn State is having kind of a soft launch on Easter Sunday, and then they'll officially launch next fall at Penn State. Following that will be Wisconsin and, and Minnesota, and just going places that we have no idea. Guys, we're a bunch of hayseeds from Iowa. What do we know about starting churches in Minneapolis and Madison? But um, I think God just blesses our bold ignorance, you know, and it gives us a level of dependence on him because we're, we're jumping into the deep end on this stuff. But just pray for us because that, kind of like that Zambia thing, really sense that God's in this. Not exactly sure how the partnerships and how that's going to go long term, but we really feel like God is setting the stage. So pretty, pretty excited about that. Last thing, guys, by way of greeting, and then we're going to jump into the book of Acts. But man, when I listened to Jeff's talk last week, um, leading and calling Brookside to a renewed passion for justice and mercy and compassion um guys i'm telling you that's not just a thing going on here that seems to be something god's spirit is doing in his church just all around this nation because i know that's what's going on in my heart and soul i mean i'm i'm watching him listening to him i'm like yes yes you know and so last night over dinner we're swapping notes about um how our church is positioning ourselves how my own life what i'm doing to reposition myself to think more about compassion and mercy. I just want to say, 
do so more and more. Just catch that wave. God is up to something. And, and this church is joining with a whole lot of churches, kind of almost like an awakening to some really substantial ministry in our cities that, that we've got to pay attention to. And I'm so glad you guys are on the front lines of that. So praise God for that. All right, so let's do this. Let's go to the book of Acts, and I'm going to be in chapter 12. And I'll be honest with you, when, when Jeff, you know, got in touch with me, and then he said Acts 12, and I'm like, sweet, yeah, that's great. And then later I read Acts 12, I was like, yeah, never taught through that passage, not sure where I'm going with that. So this is, here's what I'm telling you, I say that by way of confession, and also to say, I'm only like one step ahead of you on learning this stuff, but I'm telling you what God has done in reaffirming and, and re-speaking into my soul about some things from this text I can only pray that what he's been doing in my soul gets transferred somehow into your soul today as well because I think it's really, really significant. And if we're going to take the movement of the gospel serious, we've really got to pull over and park um, in Acts 12 for the unique contribution it makes. And here's why I say that, guys. Acts 11 ends with the church seemingly just firing on all cylinders. Um, the church in Antioch is started. Antioch will end up becoming the hub of first century church activity. And so right away, some pretty sweet things and unique things are going on in Antioch. It's a multi-ethnic church, which is really, really beautiful and will set a new template and a new kind of standard for church planting throughout the first century. So they got that going for them. It's this beautiful coming together of, of not just diversity, but a coming together doctrinally. Um, they already have a compassion for churches that are not doing as well. And so you're going to find them, they're going to do a relief effort right off. I mean, just right out of the, out of the gates. They're helping with, with food relief and stuff. So just awesome stuff going on in Antioch. Chapter 13 is actually going to pick up that story again. And you're going to find Antioch also becoming this sending church. So church planting and mission work is going to be going on through Antioch, not just awesome things happening in that city, but through them, but in between those awesome chapter 11 and 13, in between those cool stories about Antioch, it's almost like Luke steps forward and says, wait, let me tell you what's going on back in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, okay, all this euphoric, like everybody'd be like cheering, this is all the places, 11 and 13, that were highlighting our Bibles, and in between you got chapter 12, and it's a very different story there. So go, go to Acts 12 with me. Let me, let me start off. Uh, by the way, didn't used to have to pull these babies out when I was teaching from Jocko's Auto Parts. <laughs> Things have changed over the last... Anyway, uh, otherwise this is all like a big blur, and that would be of no use to you. So uh, Acts chapter 12. About that time, King Herod... So again, about that time, same time, Antioch, boom, fireworks, everything awesome, helicopters. No, probably not. But uh, about that same time as awesomeness going on in Antioch, King Herod violently attacked some who belonged to the church. Violently attacked. So a lot of you guys are watching the news and seeing when people groups are being attacked and because of their race or because of their religion or whatever that is, King Herod, all, all sorts of sweet stuff hadn't going on up north in Antioch, back in Jerusalem, they are being targeted 
as a group and a violent attack from the king is going on against those that follow Christ. In verse 2, he executed James. Now, there's a, several James qualifies. This is John's brother, James, the apostle. James doesn't just execute him with the sword. Okay, so um, just like in our day, there are um, cleaner and more noble ways to kill people and some really brutal ways to kill people. In the first century, to kill somebody with a sword is to strike terror in people. It is bloody. It is awful. It is, it is to send a message, I'm not just coming after you. I'm coming after you at the top. I'm taking one of your apostles, and I'm brutalizing him. This is, this is like terrorism, okay? Make no mistake, this is planned governmental terrorism going on to terrify the church and to stop it from growing that's what's going on at the same time as Antioch flourishing and having a blast meanwhile this is what's going on so when he saw that it actually pleased the Jews getting a lot of applause for this barbarism he proceeded to arrest Peter too right let's go after another one during the Feast of Unloved Bread. After the arrest, he put him in prison and assigned four squads of four soldiers each to guard him, intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. Who knows what he was going to conjure up? Who knows what next level of brutality? So Peter was kept in prison, but I love this, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. So you can't help but catch the abrupt change in narrative from chapter 11 to chapter 12. Things are going horribly. There is tragedy just hitting the church in Jerusalem, guys. Violent attack, execution by sword, imprisonment. But things were going so well. Like, did, did God get so preoccupied with what he was doing in Antioch that he forgot what was going on in Jerusalem? Go, How can these two things be going on simultaneously? How can this possibly work to advance the gospel? Is there something wrong with this? Well, why? Why? What's, what's happening here, right? Brooke said, I'm telling you, it's hard to take this stuff, but I want you to lean in and really listen to what's going on in Acts 12 because this is going exactly according to God's plan. It's a hard thing. Maybe that's why they had somebody else come in and teach it. Um, this is a hard thing to teach. It's a hard thing to speak. But I'm telling you, Brookside, this stuff is exactly according to plan. It will be for the furtherance of the gospel. James himself knew exactly what he was getting into. You remember, this is the James, along with John, that back in the Gospels said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, do you think that we could sit on your right and left hand when that kingdom gets inaugurated? Remember that? Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, yeah, that right and left hand thing, uh, that's not up to me. Probably not. Anyway, but let's, let's talk about what you will face. He goes, so are you willing, actually, to follow me? And so does that mean you're willing to drink the cup that I drink and get baptized with the baptism that I'm going to get baptized with? They're like, oh, totally, I'm in. It was, okay, well, then you will actually, James, you actually will drink the cup that I'm about to drink, and you will get baptized. And he said, a couple verses later, he says, but just remember this, as you follow me, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to, what, give his life as a ransom for many. 
So James was well prepared by Jesus. You're going to follow me and you want to lead with me and you want to be at my right hand? Exactly. I'm, I'm going to beckon you down that path. Here's where it's going to lead, right? And so it was not a shock to James that that's where that path would end. Um, and I love it that what it says is the church is not frantic. I'm sure they had fear. No doubt they were wondering what's But they were praying, right? Look at that. That section ends, and the church was praying fervently to God for Peter. They're, they're, God, what's going on, right? But, but praying. Okay, so let's see then what happens in the next section here. When Herod was about to bring him out for trial, that very night, Peter, again, bound with two chains, sleeping between two soldiers, like there's no getting out of this, while the sentries in front of the door guarded the prison, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell, striking Peter on the side. He woke him up and said, quick, get up. And the chains just fell off his wrist. Get dressed, the angel told him, and put on your sandals, and he did. Okay, now, wrap your cloak around you, he told him, and follow me. So he went out, followed, and he did not know that what the angel did was really happening. He thought, is this a dream? Is this a vision? What is going on, right? thinks he's dreaming. After they passed the first and second guards, they came to this iron gate that leads into the city, which opened to them by itself. Wow, how wacky is that stuff? And they went outside and passed one street, and suddenly angel just left him. Boom. So Peter came to himself and he said, wow, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's grasp and from all that the Jewish people expected. So as soon as he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many had assembled and were praying that fervent prayer back in verse 5. That's where it's going on. They're gathered and they're praying. And he knocked at the door, the outer gate, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer. And she recognized Peter's voice. And because of her joy, she actually didn't even open the gate, but ran back in and announced that Peter was standing at the outer gate. I love these parts of the stories. Like, isn't that just, he didn't have to add that in, right? That's just to kind of get you giggling a little as you're like, Rhoda, come back. Anyway, she's gone. Peter's outside. So uh, you're out of your mind, they told her. But she kept insisting, no, it's true. And they said, it's his angel. What does that even mean? I don't know. That's not Peter. That's his angel. So just leave him there? I don't even know what that means. Um, Peter, however, just kept on knocking. You know, kept knocking. When they opened the door, they saw him. They were amazed. So motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell these things to James. Now, this is the other James. And the brothers, he said. And he, and he left them and, and went to another place. You guys, it's just, again... Note the jarring contrast in what's going on, like really awesome stuff, really terrible, things are really bad, heavy mood music, you know, wow, miracle, angels, doors opening, prayers being answered, right, phenomenal, fantastic, miraculous. But Luke, the guy that's writing all this, doesn't want you to forget what he just told you in the first part of chapter 12, what's going on all around Jerusalem. And guys, I just want you to stop and, and I want you to think, I hope you do this as you're just meditating on the word. Don't go too fast. I want you to imagine you're in that prayer meeting, okay? I want you to imagine you're in that prayer meeting, but what if you're John, James's brother, the guy that was just executed? What if you're James' best friend? What if you're James' mother? father what would you be thinking when you heard the story of angels showing up and miraculously freeing peter 
What would you be thinking? God, what, where were you for my son? Right? Where were you for my brother? You've got all those miracles up your sleeve. You could have sent an angel in there. You could have freed him. Why Peter and why not James? Right? I mean, be honest. Wouldn't you be thinking, what's with that? Why is there no intervention from God for James and miracle after miracle and awesome story and Rhoda, <laughs> we're going to be laughing about this one for a long time, for Peter? Yeah, right? That's why we're going to keep reading. That's the, that's the question I want you to be asking though, right? You've got to enter into this story. Okay, so keep going because the, here's what happens. Verse 18. At daylight, there's a great commotion out among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. And after Herod had searched and didn't find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea and stayed there. More innocent blood. What? So all the miracles and now back to like bloodshed. So... Herod had been very angry with the people, verse 20, of Tyre and Sidon. Together they presented themselves before him. And after winning over Blastus, who was in charge of the king's bedroom, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food from the king's country. So they're there to, like, appease him. Okay, They're there to win his favor. So on the appointed day, dressed in all of his royal robes and seated on the throne. He wasn't even really a king, and he's playing the part. It's kind of sick, historically, what's all going on here. But he's coming out in all of his regalia and pageantry. Herod delivers a speech to them, and the assembled people began to shout, oh, it's the voice of a god and not a man, right? They're just, just, just slobbering all over him. At once, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. What does that even look like? <laughs> like, how would you have liked to have been on the platform at that point? Like, what does it look like to be like instantaneously eaten by worms. I'm just telling you, this it, it is shocking, the, the, the difference in narrative that goes on. And even more shocking, check this out. Here's the conclusion to all that roller coaster of miracle and tragedy. Look at verse 24. But the word of God flourished and multiplied. <laughs> right? But the word of God flourished and multiplied. So after they had completed the, the relief mission, give, giving to the, the, the people in need, Barnabas and Saul returned to Jerusalem, taking along John, who is called Mark, and the story is going to end up going on and mission sent out. But here's chapter 12, stuck right in the middle of all this movement of the gospel. Guys, what do we make of all this? What do we make of this intersection into the movement of the gospel in chapter 12 and here's what i want to say guys the message of the gospel is always 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 going to go out in the wings of both phenomenal miracles but shocking tragedy the movement of the gospel it's always going to go out on the wings of miracles and we love that stuff and we celebrate that stuff we look for that stuff but it is also going to go out on the wings of shocking 
tragedy. And we can't be shocked. You guys, we, when this stuff happens to us, many years later, many generations later, we've got to go book, back to books like, like the book of Acts. And guys, it's like every other page. Miracle, tragedy, miracle, tragedy, right? Sometimes within the same, you don't even have to flip the page. Just bam, bam, this, this toggling back and forth between God intervening in, in miracles and allowing great tragedy. And I'm telling you, every time you see that stuff, you're going to see something like, and the word of God flourished, and the gospel went out, and churches were multiplied. You can't, you can't miss it. You absolutely cannot miss it. I want you to, in order to ground this, even in the teachings of Jesus, to show how we, much we should be anticipating this, flip back to John 12 with me, okay? So keep your finger in Acts. We'll go back. But John 12 is where Jesus is actually, in an ongoing way, trying to prepare his future leaders for this very thing that is now being played out in the book of Acts. So in John 12, go down to verse 23. I'm going to jump right into the middle of a discussion he's having, but but for this morning, John 12, 23, Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And that's going to be awesome. And there's going to be a resurrection and ascension. It's, it's going to be awesome. But right then he says, Hey, truly I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. Okay, wrap your mind around that. If it dies, it produces much fruit. And now he's not going to talk about just himself. He's going to turn to his listeners. Verse 25, the one who loves his life will lose it. And the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And I'm telling you where I'm going, right? You've got to follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. There will be an honoring. There will be a glory Verse 27, now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. Guys, what hour is he talking about? The crucifixion, right? He's praying about Good Friday coming up. Now, we kind of almost euphemistically call it Good Friday. From Depending on your perspective, tragic Friday. Like, shocking Friday. He said, should I get out of it? Is that what I should? Should I get out of that? Do I... He'll go to the garden saying, Lord, Father, is there any way that I can actually accomplish what you want me to accomplish, but not have to go to the hour, the hour of trial, the hour of being turned over, the hour of being beaten, the hour of crucifixion? Do I have to go through that humiliation, that terrifying moment of crucifixion? He says, should I, should I get out of it? But that is why I came to this hour, he says. So therefore, Father, glorify your name. And a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. That was Jesus preparing all of us, all of the leaders in the book of Acts, all of us for what's being encountered here and what will be encountered as the gospel continues to go out across the land and even into Nebraska in 2017. We have to embrace Jesus' words and then what's going on in Acts. It's a hard saying, guys. In a, in a book so filled with hope and excitement and forward movement, what we're going to find out is tragedies are actually also wrapped in hope, wrapped in excitement, and represent forward movement. So here's what I want to do. I want to bring this by way of a couple stories. 
Story one is my son Colin. My son Colin, at five days old, uh, ended up with these internal infections that almost took his life. So for 30 days, he's hanging in the balance. We don't know from one moment to the other if he's going to be alive or dead for 30 days, hovering over him. One night, it is just excruciating and painful, and we're just watching his, his life just ebb away from him, and uh, I'm just so desperate. And the hospital had given us this little room where if we wanted to rest a little bit in between hovering, we could go down. And I went down to this room, you guys, and uh, I did something that no Bible teacher should ever do. Okay, so Tim Wiebe can shut his ears for a moment. I did, I did what no good Bible scholar should ever do. I just said, God, you have to show me something. And I just popped my Bible open, and wherever it landed, that's what I was like. Like, worst way to read your Bible. Okay, don't follow that. But God knew I was desperate, and so, bam, Psalm 121. And in Psalm 121, it was like God was saying to me, you go ahead and rest. I'm not going to rest. I'm going to keep my watchful care over your son. And I laid down in that bed, and I fell into the deepest contented sleep, only to be awakened by the phone next to the bed saying, hey, Dad, somebody's up down here and really wants his dad to come and feed him. Just in that moment, God restored him. And, and it was unbelievable, right? So we were able to tell doctors about the miracle, nurses. There was a really cool little gospel moment that happened. On, even to this day, my son Colin's got Psalm 121 tattooed down his arm. He talks to all of his, he's an electrician. He gets to talk about what happened to a lot of people. God's, right, so there's, there's story one, Colin. Story two, Kale. Kale is the son of my friend Derek. Derek's a cop in, in Ames, and while he was on duty, he got this call that there was a, an infant that they had laid him down for his nap, and he didn't wake up. Derek's actually called to the scene. It's his son, one-year-old, one-year-old Kale. By the time I get the call, they're already at the emergency room, so I, I run in and I rip open the curtain in there. I mean, guys, if, if you've been in scenes with cops, I mean, there's cops everywhere. There are firemen everywhere. That's a, that's a tight band of brothers, right? And it's and, and there's Derek all in his Kevlar. He's a big dude, and he's got his Kevlar on. And he's over his lifeless son, and he looks up, and he sees me, and he says, Jeff, God's got to have a purpose in this. God's got to have a purpose in this. Like almost telling himself, right, what, what he knows that his soul needs to hear. And you guys, I, I ran over, and I laid my hand on Kale and Derek, and I prayed. You guys, I'm telling you from the depths of my heart, I have never prayed more earnestly, believing more powerfully in the power of God to raise a child from the dead. I've never prayed with the level of intensity. And he laid there dead. God didn't do the miracle. But because God chose to let tragedy run its course, you guys, here's what I'm here to tell you. We have seen a revival of the gospel in our community that it's you can't compare it to anything else we've done. We've put on big Easter productions. We've put on big shows. We've done big evangelists and things. I'm telling you, we have more people in our church family who have been won to Jesus Christ because of the bold witness of the gospel through Derek and Dawn, through the tragedy, through the lack of miracle. Guys, you can't hardly throw a rock and not hit a cop in our church, right? Which you shouldn't do. Like, don't let, throw rocks at cops. But I am telling you, the revival, and this is a few years later, they have this kale man run to honor kale, but also to raise money for people who are adopting. And they, every time Derek gets up there with a blowhorn and, and just, or bullhorn, 
Blowhorn. I don't even know what I'm saying. Gets up with a thing that projects his voice and gives the gospel. Again. You guys, I am telling you, there are more people that know Christ because of Kale's tragedy than Colin's miracle. I'm telling just objectively, if, you're, if you want to measure kingdom movement by how many people have come to Christ because of A versus B, exponentially more people have come to know Jesus Christ because of Kale than because of Colin, even with his tattoo. Okay? God uses tragedy as part of the forward movement of the gospel. And here's the thing. you got to ask yourself, why? What, that almost doesn't make sense. In that emergency room, it wasn't making sense to me. I wasn't seeing it, right? Here's why, you guys. Next weekend. Easter. Resurrection. Here's what happens. Even in the minds of unbelievers... All of your unbelieving friends, they've got this storyline that God has, has whispered into their souls already. It's hardwired in, in, into their being that there's some transcendence. That means something more than this brick and mortar and flesh and blood. There's something more out there, right? Tragedy and miracle are both these, these booming voices reminding people there's got to be something more than flesh and blood and bricks and mortar. There's got to be something more out there, right? And you come to Easter, and you know the reason that the Easter... Do you know why you're having to add services and add seats and everything else? Because there's something about this crazy story that a God out there would break into our time and space and walk with us, suffer tragedy, and then be restored in miracle. Something about that story, as ludicrous as that sounds, resonates in the hearts of people because they know it's right. God already has been whispering that story, and so they start hearing the story come back to them, and, and they get it because their own life is filled with tragedy and miracle. And all of a sudden, there's a God who actually designed tragedy and miracle to awaken me to who he is, never more boldly described than in Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, those two things coming together like no other event on the planet. So guys, here's, here's my challenge. Here's my call, Brookside, to, to you as you continue to go through Acts and as you contemplate even Acts 12. Here's my challenge. It's, it's at two levels. On, on the first level, I'm asking you to consider if you're a Christ follower here today and maybe you're going through some level of trial, great or small, and you're asking that question, God, what, have you forgotten how come I hear about you intervening and pulling off miracles all over the place? What about me? Have you forgotten? I want you on this day to drop on your knees before Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I can't get from this vantage point how pain, trial, tragedy will somehow further your gospel, but I can't get away from the fact that that's what you do. So I'm just going to surrender it to you, and I'm going to start looking for the breaking through of the gospel through this, right? So I'm saying it starts in, in you, in your heart, in your soul, to be willing to say, Jesus, it goes counter to what I think the way things ought to be. It's clear. And when you start getting really discouraged, listen to the words of Jesus who say, says to you, hear this in your heart. You know, you're going to go through a lot of trials. But I'm preparing a place for you. And look, if that weren't true, I would tell you. 
I'm telling you the truth. I'm preparing a place for you. And if I'm doing that, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. And that resurrection that you're celebrating about me, yeah, I'm actually going to give you one of those and it's going to be glorious. I want you to believe that so deeply that it will give you the strength to go through whatever it is right now because on the other end of this, it's glory. And that grain of wheat, it's got to die before it can really experience total, beautiful, transforming change, glory, resurrection. I want you to believe again the gospel. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to be prepared this week to boldly tell people about this crazy story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Because I'm telling you, it sounds so weird, even in our own ears, that that could be the plan of God. The people that you're going to talk to, they're going to connect with it. It, it. it already lives in their souls. And you just got comp- to connect the dots. You just got to fill in the storyline for a story that they already have this haunting idea must actually be true. There's a, there's a quote, actually, that, that I think is beautiful. C.S. Lewis, and you've probably heard it before. Uh, it's one of his most oft-quoted, in my own soul, quotable quotes. He says this, you know what? Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is, pain is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. I'm telling you, some of the people that you're going to encounter to talk to them about the risen Jesus are encountering the greatest trial and are actually going to be the most responsive to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not bitterness at that God. They want to find answers from that God. And you have those answers. It's next weekend. It's the resurrection. It's Jesus Christ overcoming the pain with glorious, transforming resurrection. So guys, that's what I want to pray over you, that this gospel settles into your soul and spills from your lips. And so I I would ask for you to pray with me. Can we pray together? So Jesus, we want to uh, surrender to this gospel all over again. We want to say to you, Lord, that often we enter into trial and tragedy and, and it doesn't make sense. Nor do the miracles make sense to us. It all seems crazy. But what we want to say is, Lord, if you should intersect our world with miracle or if you should intersect our world with tragedy, we're going to look for that to be an opportunity for your glorious gospel and for your son to come through loud and clear and bold and beautiful and attractive. So fill this place with people who are coming to know the real God who speaks real truth about a real hope. And I pray even this week that these guys would believe that deeply, re-encounter this gospel truth in their souls and speak of it boldly to all that they encounter. That's my prayer. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.